Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. All right, well, this is Dr. Grant Stuckey. Thank you for joining this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Robert Marks. He is an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Miami, Florida area. Is that correct, Dr. Marks? Yeah, I'm the uh, chief of oral and maxillofacial surgery at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. You're one of my oral surgery idols. I've always looked up to you and loved your lectures and I've listened to them, watched them and just eat up everything that uh, you've produced. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I'm flattered. Yes, this is great. I was wondering if at first you could just give us a brief history of your own training and your current setup. Okay, I trained at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, Jackson Hospital. I spent uh, six years at Wilford Hall Medical Center, United States Air Force, uh, and then came back in 1984, and I've been with the University of Miami since then, department chair in 1993. We see a fair amount of pathology, and the topic today is adinogenic keratosis. Uh, we have a pretty large experience with uh, that particular disease. Excellent. Thank you. I guess we could jump into it. We wanted to discuss the donogenic or keratosis. cyst. I mean, the first question right off the bat is, is this a cyst or a tumor? You know, where, where do you go with that? Well, this is definitely a cyst. Unfortunately, the World Health Organization sort of uh, jumped the gun years ago when it was found that there was an abnormal pitch gene in a donogenic keratosis. So they tried to label it as a tumor because it does recur. The problem is that the pitch gene abnormality occurs in other inflammatory diseases and such like that. So they had the reverse course, eat a little crow, if you will, and reverted the name back to adonogenic keratocyst. Got it. So it is a cyst. Uh, yeah, I think what some of the reasoning was that is it histologically they could see satellite cells or you know what what were some of the other reasons they thought it would be a tumor it was mainly the gene abnormality uh that they made the wrong assumption that that's only associated with tumors particularly benign tumors turned out after further investigation it was not and indeed there are satellite cysts but those cysts are really from embryologic like rest adenogenic keratosis occur from a variety of leftover epithelium in the jaw some of which are like the rest of series, which are dental laminar some of which rests of malice, which we all know about from the uh, development of teeth roots. Got it. Okay. Uh, most of our listeners are private practice guys or, you know, younger residents going into private practice. You know, what is the patient that we should kind of have our antennas up for this person being a, a high suspicion for having an adonogenic keratocyst? Good question, because uh, they mainly occur in younger people from roughly what we call the first decade, roughly age five and six, up to about 30. After that, you still see some, but they're much less common. 
and of course, anybody with basal cell nevus syndrome, mm-hmm. most of which come to us today already diagnosed. It's a rare one that you see you're the first one to pick up some subtle signs. Okay. And so we see the patient comes in. What are some of the, I guess, radiographic features that would distinguish this from a dentigerous cyst or other types of cysts that are similar? Yes. I mean, they're in the rubric of radiolucent lesions, but there are some tip-offs you can get. If you compare it to a dentigerous cyst, dentigerous cysts are round or oval in shape. Here, a keratocyst goes further in the mesodistal direction because it takes a path of least resistance in the marrow space. So they tend to be more mesodistally uh, longer, and they have lobulations in them. Uh, okay. Sometimes they will cause a little indentation in the inferior border. Now, other lesions, such as central giant cell tumors, do the same thing too. But that would tend to make you at least suspicious that an OKC is a high possibility. Got it. Okay. And then, so everything is kind of setting us off for thinking, yeah, this is probably an OKC. What is our next step as far as diagnosing this definitively? Well, I think that's a biopsy. Again, on a usual differential, you have such things as an ameloblastoma, a central giant cell tumor, something like an adenogenic myxoma. So you can't make the assumption radiographically that it is a cyst. Uh, you need to explore it, and uh, that can be done in the office under local anesthesia, a mucoperiosteal flap, roughly at the crest. That's usually the safest place to make one. And then small reflection, window and bone, and take as much of the lining as you find. Uh, okay. If it's a solid lesion, which is probably then not a, a donogenic keratosis, then you want to take a fair amount of tissue that's reasonable so that the pathologist has enough tissue to work with to make an accurate diagnosis. Got it. Okay. And I jumped the gun prior to doing the biopsy. One more question was, you know, are these typically symptomatic, asymptomatic? What does the patient report from their point of view? Most of them are asymptomatic and the patient will report either mobility of teeth, a subtle expansion. Sometimes the expansions are really quite a bit and it's obvious, but on rare occasions, they will present almost like an abscess. In other words, the keratin leaks out which is very inflammatory, and they may come in with trismus and pain. Hmm. Uncommon, but in about 10% of them, they will have some symptoms like that that will tell you that keratin is leaking out of the cyst. Got it. Okay. <laughs> and so we've done the biopsy. We've kind of you know, really gotten as much of the lining out to send it to pathology. It comes back as the OKC. You know, what's the next step from there that you'd recommend? Well, people have three options, and I, I may be a little bit biased toward one, and that I think is the most curative is enucleation. So enucleate the entire cyst carefully in one unit if you can. Options are, uh, on the less aggressive side, would be a marsupialization. Now, I would not recommend that for the multilocular type, but in the unilocular type, that's reasonable if you want to spare the patient inpatient surgery that can be done in the office as a marsupialization. I don't generally do much of that. I'd like to make sure I get the entire lesion out, but marsupialization is a valid uh, other form. For very large ones that are multilocular and are destructive to the point of a near pathologic fracture, that resection is an option. Okay. And why do you say not doing marsupialization for multilocular? Because the loculations that you see radiographically don't often connect 
So you're going to decompress or marsupialize one loculation, and there's another loculation that's not communicated with it or gets plugged up, and you get a recurrence without realizing it. Got it. Now, a, a little point, too, if I could uh, digress a minute. There's a difference between decompression and marsupialization. Decompression is opening up the cyst and putting in some type of a device like a nasopharyngeal tube that that vents the pressure in the cyst. Mm -hmm. That's not a marsupialization. And what happens with that is the lining eventually closes over and risks you're getting a recurrence. A true marsupialization takes some of the lining and some of the mucosa, sutures them together so that the lining of the cyst is confluent with the actual oral mucosa. That has much less recurrence potential. That's a true marsupialization versus a decompression. Got it. Okay. In regards to doing doing the inoculation, I mean, there's all manner of, you know, probably training that ranges, but you hear all sorts of things from you should take a rounder and, you know, go around there. You should do carno, cryo, lasers. I mean, all sorts of stuff. What is really necessary? What's necessary and what we have found in any training program uh, is to use wide access. Do not hesitate to decorticate widely so when you're enucleating the cyst, you can see the entire cyst. Do not worry or over-worry about a pathologic fracture. That's very rare, and particularly in this young age group, they regenerate bone well. Now, what I do with my residents is when you know the chief resident or the fellow takes out the cyst, we will each three of us, that's the fellow, myself, and or uh, the chief resident, we will make a, um, a survey just to be sure we've got it all out, three eyes looking at it. So if you can, import other people to make sure you don't have any leftover lining behind. We personally do not do carnoid solution, cryotherapy, or burying the, uh, the bone. I, I think that's a little bit of a crutch. A lot of times it doesn't hurt to do that, but we found that none of that really improves the, um, the success rate. Okay. Got it. I mean, it definitely makes sense. I think people what reach for those accessory things because they thought there was finger-like projections, satellites, things that they couldn't just scrape out with the curette. Is that correct? I would think. Or yeah, that's usually it. Yeah, the when the the ones that recur are the ones that you take it out and you shred it up because the lining is thin, maybe inflamed and very friable. Then uh, rather than go burying out things or putting carnoid solution in, I would just say make several pass-throughs. You know, go in there and curette the bone, take a little time out, have one of your, your assistants look in there, curette the areas. And, and the real areas that are subject to recurrence are around the roots of the teeth, particularly on the lingual or palatal side. That's where you don't have direct vision and where you have to be particularly intense about your nucleation. Okay. That's awesome. Very helpful. In regards to a uninterrupted tooth being associated with it, can it be saved? Should it always be removed? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we've had some recent thoughts, and, and I apologize for not publishing this because we've had some excellent results. And that is for there's two types of keratosis the primordial type where it's not associated with an impacted tooth. And then there's a dentigerous type that for all the world looks like a dentigerous cyst, but the lining has the characteristic features of a keratocyst. For either type of cyst, if it's attached to the CE junction and it's a, a worthwhile tooth to retain, in other words, something other than a third molar, mm -hmm. we have found it very feasible 
to take a good sharp scalpel and cut it off the CE junction. The cyst will come out and you can leave the tooth in its crypt. Even if the tooth becomes mobile and sort of like AVALS, put it in the crypt and, and we may put some BMP in there, but put some type of a sponge to cushion it, collagen sponge, particularly the young people, and the teeth finish their development and erupt with hardly any need for orthodontic guidance. We've seen that many times. Hmm. So it's a good way to save the tooth and uh, still remove the entire cyst for a curative approach. Excellent. Okay. And then um, you kind of mentioned BMP. What is it possible to bone graft? Have you done that? Good results? Should you delay bone grafting? Yes, we do it now quite a bit. In years past, before quote unquote tissue engineering, it wasn't worth harvesting hip bone to fill up a cystic cavity, particularly in the in the adult. In many children, the bone is going to regenerate. You do not have to even think of, of bone grafting it. But in some of these adults, adults meaning 25 and older, with a combination of crushed cancelled cadaver bone, a small amount of BMP, and then platelet-rich plasma, that combination will regenerate the bone in large cystic defects. Now, what's the value in it? Because we know bone will regenerate. Mm-hmm. The value in it is that it will develop and solidify mobile teeth. And I've had many cases where you had two and three plus mobility of teeth, and that bone development seems to, although I can't prove it, develop a periodontal membrane. The teeth become immobile and vital. So that's really encouraging. Additionally, if dental implants are ever required for the patient, then you have enough bone to put dental implants in. So it's sort of like planning for the future. If you don't, a lot of times the um, the soft tissue flaps prolapses into the cystic defect, and when the ridge heals, it's knife edge, or you get some bone that does not cover the root surfaces. So there's some small advantages to grafting them, particularly adults 25 and older. Okay, that makes sense. And then I was going to ask, so let's say you, everything presents, you see the x-ray, the symptoms, whatever the case may be, it's to you in your mind, you're thinking this is OKC. How often do you go in and biopsy and a nucleate at the same time versus just biopsy and then come back in a second surgery and then a nucleate? Well, I think the choice of that depends on your your office setting, what anesthesia you can offer, but wherever we can, when we do the biopsy, we will be prepared. If, if we see clinically, it's got a lumen to it and it's yeah. not a solid lesion like an ameloblastoma or a myxoma, we will do it at the same time. But but there's nothing wrong in taking a biopsy, proving it to the patient and yourself. This is what we're dealing with. This is how we will treat it. So if you do a biopsy in the office, it's usually a second procedure that you do the definitive procedure. If you do the biopsy and, and from radiographic implications, odds are that you're dealing with a keratocyst. We will often uh, do it in the operating room and enucleate the lesion as it is. Got it. Okay. Excellent. Um, you know, one more comment was for those big lesions. I think the way I was trained, or at least some of the experience I had, was that there there's a thought of well, if it's a huge lesion, let's try to shrink it down. You know, with a decompression tube, and then go after it with a nucleation. Is that valid thinking, or will that just get you in trouble because those big ones are multilocular and you may not be getting some of the loculations? What, what do yeah, you think? I think the issue of if you choose that route is more dependent on unilocular versus multilocular rather than the actual size. 
uh, even a large unilocular lesion, if you decompress it, it'll shrink down. A keratocyst, even though it's you know a little bit more aggressive than tigerocyst, will decrease in size, and then you can do a more limited enucleation, possibly turn it from the OR into the office. But I would not advise it for the multilocular. We've I've seen too many recurrences from that to be comfortable with that approach. Okay, excellent. That's very very helpful. Any other words of wisdom you have for our listeners with, with dealing with this type of lesion? No, except that when you find a keratocyst, if you find more than one, take the time out to look for signs of basis on nevus syndrome, particularly in some of the younger people. And the most obvious signs to look for, I, I, I hate to use a term, they look like a funny looking kid sometimes. But what I mean by that is big, thick frontal bossing. They will look like they have big eyebrows. They look like an adult eyebrow. They will have a short web neck. And the basal cells that they have will look more like acne than true skin cancers in the sun-exposed group. They're very different. These are true basal cell nevi. They're not really aggressive cancers. And they will look like acne, particularly the infraorbital regions. So mm. just look for those quick spots topographically if you have more than one. And the other thing I'd like to mention while we've got the attention of the audience, hopefully, uh, is if when you get a recurrence, don't worry about it. Most of your recurrences are actually new primaries. And that's a satellite lesion issue. The recurrences that you have, if you do a thorough nucleation, are very rare. Most of them are second primaries from active rests that just develop another cyst. Okay. And one other thing, if I could. Yeah. When you follow them up recommend that you follow them up at least on a yearly basis with a good x-ray. If you see a radiolucency and it's been a big one, make sure you do a cone beam CT scan because many of these will have a cortical defect that on a plain two-dimensional film like a panorex, it'll look like a radiolucency hmm. that looks like a, a recurrence. But if you do a cone beam CT scan, you'll often see an indentation of the cortex, which on a two-dimensional film will look like um, like a cyst, almost like a Staphne's bone cyst type of a phenomenon. But that's actually a defect in the cortex because the original keratocyst perforated that cortex. So you don't explore a lesion that turns out to be just a defect in the cortex. Got it. That is very helpful. I really appreciate that comment. That's terrific. Excellent. I try to end all my podcasts with four rapid fire questions. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. Sure. All right. The first one is, what is the best book you've read in the past year? Book that I've read? Yes. Killing Crazy Horse by um, Bill O'Reilly. Gives oh, you a yeah. great insight in the atrocities of both Native Americans and, and of course, our, our U.S. Calvary. And, and it's a really good study about history. A lot of the details you probably didn't learn in your history class. Awesome. I've read uh, Killing Jesus and Killing JFK and Killing Lincoln. And so I haven't read that one. I'll, I'll get to it. But I love yeah, those books. Those are good, too. I haven't gotten to yet. I'm, I'm currently reading Killing the Mob. Are you? Okay. <laughs> and that, that's very exciting with details that I never knew existed, too. That's a great learning experience. Wow, that's awesome. My next question is, what non-oral surgery thing have you done or do you do that helps you with your oral surgery skills each day? 
Um, interesting question. I, I would just say our research, you know, right now we're into stem cell research big time, finding out new things every day about what stem cells can do and what they can't do. So that's pretty much my passion outside of physical operation. But I'm actually a big time fisherman. So I maybe cleaning the fish hones my skills in neurosurgery. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. I do carpentry. And so that it helps, you know, I'll measure twice cut yeah. once that type of a thing yeah um, that's right the, the ne- next one's kind of a silly question but if you're extracting tooth number five what forceps do you use oh my gosh um <laughs> a 150 just a general i, I don't use fancy instruments I, I i use a general 150 upper forcep and i've not had a problem with it today so Excellent. i have no reason to change all right. And then my last question was, what is your favorite quote? Well, my favorite quote actually is one I've put in my books a couple of times, and it comes from Enrico Fermi. And if you're not familiar with Enrico Fermi, he's, he's the person who developed the Manhattan Project. He was a physicist and considered one of the brilliant, most brilliant people. He was attending a lecture by one of his colleagues that was really horribly complex. And he afterwards said, at first I was confused on this subject. Now I'm still confused, but at a higher level. <laughs> uh, I always thought that that it applies to a lot of the lectures that I've been to and probably several that I've given that, well, I don't know this whole topic, but I'm at least a little bit more uh, educated. Yes, I like My that. My favorite quote, Enrico Fermi. Excellent. And then one additional question for you is, because it reminded me when we were talking about favorite book, recently I saw that you've actually written some novels. Is that correct? Some mystery yes, novels? Yes, I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's awesome. Um, I was an English major, and so stuff like that just gets me really excited because I love writing. And, and you know. I'll send you some copies. Uh, I've had three that have been bestsellers on Amazon. Uh, oh. There is one now. Interesting enough, it's called Replague. And uh, I wrote it before COVID, and it was delayed in publication because of just structural things. That should be coming out in December. And wow. then I have a nonfiction book coming out about climate change called Climate Change, A Real Story. And it puts down CO2 as a driving force. Wow. It's sort of an expose of some of the things we've accepted. And it took a lot of research into that one. Very cool. That yeah. is cool. I've enjoyed writing that one. A follow-up question to all that is, you know, how have you managed to be so prolific in, in doing so much stuff? Where do you find the time, the energy? How, how do you do all this? Well, when you enjoy something, it doesn't seem to take uh, a whole lot of time. I, I really don't waste a lot of time with social media, I guess. Okay. So, you know, you're not going to find me on social media. I'm usually digging my head into something. So I think that's the best answer. I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, to any of your listeners who are residents or like, Oral and maxillofacial surgery is the single best profession you can be in. Everybody should be proud of it. We do good things for patients. Patients yes. appreciate us. And it's really come a long way in my career lifetime from the beginnings where we were fighting for histories and physicals. And now oral and maxillofacials are doing major trauma, cancer, and anything that they particularly have the training to do. It's been great. Awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate everything you've shared with us tonight. Also, I love the passion that you bring to the profession. Um, when I was a resident, probably don't even remember this, but you came and gave a lecture to our program at University of Illinois, and you talked about some of the stuff you were doing. I think at that point, it, the lecture was supposed to be centered on Emranch, 
you you also kind of commented on some political stuff that was going on in the profession at that time. And I've always appreciated that, that you're just seems like you're always just fighting for the profession. You're not afraid to let your, you know, opinions be known and to, to put your heart into everything you're doing. And that's just so admirable. I love it. Yeah, thank you. And I hope that's an example for everybody out there that, you know, you have to keep the profession going to keep all the great uh, privileges that we do have. I do it in one fashion, but there's a lot of other good people who do it on a political front, on a, a research front and the like. And so uh, as a profession, we're very strong, but we have to keep being that strong. Yes, I agree. But I contribute to a little bit. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And, and I congratulate you on, on doing this podcast. I think this is something that's worthwhile for our whole profession, too. So uh, congratulations and keep it up. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good evening. Keep in touch. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.